Take out your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 31. And we will read uh, this, this whole chapter, this long chapter. Genesis chapter 31. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was, and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has, come, has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and molten. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see, all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and molten. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us. He has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our Father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock and his possession that he had acquired in Padan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan, to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had had, and rose and crossed the Euphrates, and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven my daughters like captives of the sword? 
Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? Why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. But is it my power to do you harm? But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them into the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And he said to her father, And she said to her father, Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have fell through all my goods... What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may decide between us two. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters, six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed." God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. And all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day? For these my daughters or for for their children whom they have borne. Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I. And let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Chahudutha, but Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he named it Galid and Mizpah. For he said, The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, 
Or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and pillar which I have set between you and me? This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban rose, kissed his grandchildren, his daughters, and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God remains forever. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for this reading of your word. We ask, O God, that you give us ears to hear as your word is preached today. Be with this, your servant. Help help us, O God, to understand and apply the truths found here. That we may give you all glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, When Jacob was growing up, there is no doubt that he knew about God. He knew of the covenant promises that God had made with Abraham and to Isaac. He knew of the inheritance. He knew of the promise of the nation. And certainly he knew this. He, in fact, he had stolen the birthright from his brother. He knew all about these things, but did he really know God? When Jacob fled from his brother Esau... He was given a vision at Bethel. God visited Jacob in that place and told him of the promises which were for him. And as we had seen, Jacob left Bethel a changed man. And yet there was much growth that Jacob needed. This is true really of all believers. Those who come to saving faith are transformed by Christ And yet there's still growth that is needed when you can be sanctified. Well, the Lord would continue to sanctify Jacob over the course of the next 20 years. Jacob's time with Laban was a rocky one to say the least. He suffered greatly at the hands of Laban. But through it all, God was faithful to him, caring for him. Jacob grew in his faith. Jacob grew in his trust in God. He grew in his knowledge. This is made clear in this text. We see uh, towards the end how he refuses to equate the God of Laban with the one true God. The Lord continually provided for Jacob. Taking from the deceiver and giving it to this changed man, a man who himself had once been the deceiver. God plundered Laban, which was perhaps a kind of discipline, and prospered his chosen son, Jacob. Now throughout the narrative, there's been tension which has been building. The tension here boils over as Laban and his sons express jealousy because Jacob 
has, and, his, and his wives have sought to disassociate themselves and to associate with their husband. And Jacob has been blessed. Throughout the 20 years of Jacob's trial, dealing with Laban and his family, uh, one of the things that becomes very clear is that God has been present through all of it. God didn't just leave Jacob, but had actually prospered him. And these trials and these sufferings which Jacob experienced had a transforming effect on him. This was part of his sanctification. As we already said, that this is a transformation which began when he first fled from Esau and is now completed in his second flight from Laban. And so throughout all of this, throughout this 20 years and all of the experiences and trials and difficulties, Jacob emerges as a man of great faith and leadership. And so he acts upon God's call to return to the land of Canaan. Of course, Jacob's transformation will be complete in chapter 32 when he's given a new name after having wrestled with the Lord and be given the name Israel. But here we are in chapter 31 and this uh, section opens with this jealousy of Laban's sons. Now, as we've said, Jacob had amassed great wealth in his time. Uh, Despite, of course, all of Laban's, uh, uh, all that Laban was trying to do. And so the sons of Laban protest that Jacob had taken everything which actually belonged to their father. In essence, what what they're accusing Jacob of is stealing their inheritance. Now, Jacob had come with nothing. He had fled from Esau. He came empty-handed. And so he has nothing to show from his father, Isaac. But now he has great wealth. And so word has providentially come to Jacob's ears. He's fallen out of favor with the family. In fact, Jacob had seen Laban's face. He had seen that Laban does not regard him with favor anymore. And so Jacob is prompted to leave. And so the Lord says to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So once again, Jacob is to repeat the act of faith. Abraham had been called to go from the place where he was, to go into the land of Canaan. Rebekah had been called, remember, as um, <clears throat> Isaac was, uh, had, was to get a wife, and she had been called to go. And now, here is uh, Jacob. He is being called, and God is promising that he will be with Jacob. In fact, this phrase, I will be with you, evokes the revelation given at Bethel back in chapter 28. God had promised that he would be with Jacob throughout his sojourn in Haran, and that has been proved to be the case. Even as he has suffered over these 20 years, God has been with him, and God has now assured Jacob of his continued presence and protection as he flees from Laban. Jacob was to return to the land of his father's, And there he was to gain even more than he had acquired in Haran. And so Jacob quickly acts in obedience to the word. He sends for, he gathers his wives, uh, Rachel and Leah, and they meet with him in the fields. Of course, it's the fields 
which provide the greatest evidence of God's provision and faithfulness. It's in the fields that you see all these, all these flocks that he has now acquired. And of course, the other thing about the fields is this is a place where Jacob could speak freely without fear of being overheard by the rest of the family. And so Jacob gives a lengthy and impassioned speech to his wives where he gives a clear witness to his personal faith and the reasons why the relationship between he and his father or father-in-law have been broken. Laban no longer has regard for him, but the God of his fathers does. Look at verse 6. He says, You know that I have served your father with all of my strength, yet your father has cheated me and charged, changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. So even as Laban had tried to do harm, time and time again, the Lord had been faithful to him. God had supplied his needs. God had blessed him. Which in turn has provided assurance for Jacob's faith. Now Laban had been against him. Laban had tried to cheat him. The text says it changed his wages ten times. Which by the way is another way of saying time and time again or over and over again Laban had changed his wages. Despite, though, all of Laban's schemes, despite all the ways that Laban was trying to take advantage of Jacob, trying to steal from Jacob, God had cared for Jacob. God had not allowed any harm to come to his chosen one. Laban had tried to make a fool out of him. God had protected him. Now, how had God protected Laban? Well, look at verse 8. He says, if the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flocks were spotted. If the striped were to be your wages, then all the flocks were striped. Thus, God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. So whatever, uh, whatever was the wages that Laban had changed it to, suddenly all the animals produced that. Jacob's explanation offers a sober reflection and what had, had taken place over the course of the past 20 years. Jacob's father-in-law had abused him. This is the seed of Abraham. But as we read in Genesis chapter 3 and verse or sorry, chapter 12 and verse 3, God curses those who curse Abraham's seed. You see, God had provided and, and protected his chosen seed, and in this case, at the expense of Laban. Now the question could be asked, well, had, had, had Jacob somehow acted unethically in the breeding of these goats and sheep? Had he sort of set up a system where he would ensure that he would end up with everything? Well, the simple answer is no, Jacob didn't do this. Jacob had been faithful in breeding and caring for the flocks as had been agreed to with his father-in-law. But Laban had attempted to restrict Jacob's wages. But these issues were resolved by divine providence. It is God who ensured that Jacob would realize his wages. The Lord had intervened on Jacob's behalf, bringing blessing to his son and curses to his son's enemy. The Lord saw 
all that Laban was doing and acted to protect and to provide for his elect son. Therefore, the one who took away Laban's flocks wasn't Jacob. Jacob hadn't cheated Laban. No, God had taken away Laban's flocks. Now, Jacob had perhaps many schemes. We saw those in the previous chapter, but those didn't accomplish anything. It was God who caused the transfer of Laban's wealth. And so Jacob then recounts for his wives a vision that he had. And in this vision, he saw these various colored goats, which produced the agreed-upon variety. Again, what is being emphasized here is that it is God who is providing for Jacob. It is God who is giving Jacob his wages. This is the same God who had visited him at Bethel and had told him, I will be with you. And so now Jacob has been provided his due and it is now time to return home to Canaan. He was to return to the land of his father and his kindred. Now his wives respond, uh, really in in, in a positive way, they ask these rhetorical questions. Is there any portion or inheritance left to us at our father's house? Is there anything left for us here? Are we not regarded as foreigners to him? Rachel and Leah, as they consider the actions of their father, think back about how he had treated them. Their father had literally sold them to Jacob. And had spent all of their inheritance. They had been personally exploited by their father the same way that he exploits foreigners. The same way he had exploited his own son-in-law. It's bad enough that Laban had a history of mistreating outsiders and foreigners. I mean, that's bad enough. But how much worse is it that he exploits his own family? So the wives agree. God has taken away their father's holdings. And has given them to the wives and to their children. Therefore, their their loyalty is with Jacob. And they tell him, do whatever God has said to do. We're with you, Jacob. If God is saying it's time to go, then it's time to go. Do whatever God has said to do. And so again, Jacob acts decisively. He rises, he puts his sons, his wives on camels, he drives them all the way, all his livestock, all his property, everything he has, he sets his face towards Canaan, the land of his father Isaac. Now notice that verse 18 stresses that these were his possessions. This is is his property. This is a property that God had given to him. Now this is important. Because this stands in contrast, this is the Word of God, this stands in contrast to Laban's words later. And we read this. We see where Laban says, all that you see is mine. No, it's not Laban. Admittedly, there is now some cumbersome redundancy in the text. It, it's, it's really awkward. You know, it says, he drove all away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained. The livestock in his possession. Now what this is highlighting is the vast holdings which Jacob had acquired. Now fleeing Laban with all of these vast holdings, remember that when he fled Esau, he he fled with nothing. 
That's sort of easygoing, right? If you've got vast uh, holdings, all these flocks to drive, well, that's going to be slower. And yet, Jacob is making a speedy exit. Now, of course, he's helped by the timing of the escape. Notice that Jacob and his family flee in secret when Laban had gone to shear the sheep. Verse 19. Of course, sheep shearing is done in the spring and entailed a large number of men working a great distance from home. And so the men of Laban are far away. They're very preoccupied. And so this is the perfect opportunity for Jacob to, as verse 20 literally says, steal away. Now, the King James Version says that Jacob stole away unawares. That's actually a really good translation. It really, I think, captures the idea well. He left unnoticed by Laban and his men. Now, notice, too, that while Jacob is stealing away, there's another theft which is occurring. Rachel who's stealing her father's household idols. The the Hebrew term is teraphim. Now, it's not entirely clear what these were, but these could be household gods. These, These could be sort of statues of ancestors. We're not exactly sure what these are, but she steals them. Now, some have suggested that these are stolen because they're connected to the family's inheritance. Remember, uh, the, the, the wives are upset because their father had, uh, was not leaving them anything. They were going to be left empty-handed. It also could be that uh, Rachel just steals them out of spite. She's just mad at her father and steals them. Whatever the case is, though, Rachel's actions nearly brought ruin to Jacob. Though, as one commentator says, quote, the ancient reader would not miss the sarcasm in the story, for here is a new crime, God-napping. And so Laban is deceived as Jacob and his family go over the Euphrates River and they head towards the, the hill country of Gilead. Jacob is fleeing back to the land in which he had originally fled from. Now, since Laban is so preoccupied with the sheep shearing, it was three days before he was informed that Jacob had fled. But when he found out, he took his kinsmen, that is to say, he took his whole clan, and he pursued Jacob for seven days and followed him into the hill country of Gilead. What you should understand here is this. What Laban brought was a military force. He brought an army against Jacob and pursued him for seven days. So the language here depicts an army prepared for war. Now Laban is ready to attack Jacob with force. Now Jacob's fear of Laban doing him harm, it turns out, is well founded. Laban had every intention of doing uh, harm to Jacob. And verse 25 portrays a dramatic standoff between the two parties. Laban overtook Jacob, and then each pitched their tents on opposing hills. And so here in, our, in, in the narrative, the tension is reaching a climax because, well, Jacob is no match in this case. If, we're, for, if Laban's coming with a military force, Jacob has his family, has his kids and his wives and his flocks. He doesn't have an army, though. What's going to happen? Well, Laban comes to Jacob and he says in verse 26, What have you done? 
that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword. You're, you're treating them like you've captured them from war. Well, he is the one bringing an army. He accuses his son-in-law of deception, of driving away his daughters like, like prisoners of war. And he, he accuses them of depriving him of the courtesy as their father to kiss the, the, his sons and his daughters farewell by custom, saying that he should have been able to send them away with mirth and songs and tambourine and lyres. We should have had a, a celebration as you went with music. Now these words of mirth and song would have rung hollow to Jacob's family's ears. You see, they already experienced Laban's version of joyous celebration. You remember uh, when Jacob had been made a fool of at he and Leah's wedding? Now, Laban's version of mirth is not what they would be interested in. Laban is publicly disparaging Jacob, saying that he acts foolishly. Now, Laban here pretends to be angry with the manner in which Jacob leaves, not that, he desi- not that Jacob desired to leave Padam Aran. Now, the reality is that Je- Laban did not wish for them to leave at all. This becomes clear as he speaks further. Verse 29, It is in my power to do you harm, but the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. So Laban has come with a superior military force against his son-in-law. He has the physical power to bring great harm to Jacob and probably would have taken Jacob's wives and Jacob's children and brought them back to his home and would have probably forced Jacob to be an indentured servant if he didn't kill him. This was his plan. But God interceded on Laban on Jacob's behalf. Laban was not allowed to do any harm to Jacob, which really begs the question, did Laban really have the power to do harm? Jacob, or Laban, was not allowed to do any harm. Laban wasn't even allowed to say the wrong thing to him. Don't you dare say anything, even. Not only don't touch a hair on his head, don't even say the wrong thing. Don't look at him crossways. Laban doesn't have the power to do anything. In fact, Laban has to admit that he only has as much power as God gives to him. And so after having dressed Jacob down in front of his family in typical Laban form, he then tries to give an excuse for Jacob's hasty departure, blaming on his longing to return to his father's house. You know, oh, well, I mean, I can sort of understand. You, you just miss home. I, I get it. But then he makes a second indictment, and that is the, the accusation of stealing his gods. Laban ponders aloud with feigned understanding that Jacob would desire to return home, but this is no excuse to steal his household gods. And so here Laban thinks he has Jacob cornered. The excuse that Jacob simply wanted to take his goods and go his own way cannot be true if he's stealing. Jacob would not be able to defend such an action. But Laban is unaware of Rachel's part in in this, assuming that Jacob was the perpetrator. And of course, Jacob is equally unaware 
of what Rachel had done. And so, starting in verse 31, we see Jacob offer his defense. First of all, he left as he did because he was afraid, thinking that Laban would take his daughters from him by force. And he's not wrong. I mean, Laban does come with an army. Jacob's not wrong. In the present situation, coupled with Laban's threats that he has the power to do him harm, and the fact that he shows up with an army, shows this very thing. Again, Laban has every intention of doing Jacob harm. He has every intention of taking back everything that he thinks is his. And so what Jacob says was what everyone who was present knew was true. As the second charge, the stealing of the gods, he invites Laban to search through all his goods in front of their kinsmen and see what he can find, if anything. And if anything, any stolen property is found in their possession, that person was to be put to death. Now, the narrator here notes for us that Jacob is unaware that his wife, Rachel, had stolen Laban's idols. And so Laban searches diligently. He goes to Jacob's tent. He goes to Leah's tent. He goes to the two female servants' tent. Nothing is found. He doesn't find a single thing. Notice that the narrator builds the tension. Finally, Laban goes to Rachel's tent. And the reader is now left to wonder, what's what's he going to find there? But Rachel had taken the idols and she had put them into this camel's saddle and was sitting on them. So Laban searches the tent, finds nothing. And then Rachel makes an excuse as to why she cannot rise off the camel, saying the way of women was upon her. And so Laban won't search the camel bag. In fact, a woman would probably search anyway, but a man would never dream of it. And so they're not found. Again, here's a wonderful contrast between Jacob's God, who had threatened Laban, if he so much as said the wrong thing to Jacob, with Laban's so-called gods, who his daughter literally sits on. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the one true God. Laban was no match for his daughter's wit just as much as his gods are no match for the one true God. And so the search, of course, turns up nothing. Jacob is vindicated, and Laban looks to be a fool. And so we read verse 36, Jacob becomes very angry. He begins to berate Laban. And so now, now it all comes boiling out. 20 years of frustration. What is my sin? What have you found? You know, you've, you've searched through all of my things. You've found nothing. Set the stolen things before your kinsmen and mine. Let them decide. Oh, you didn't find anything, did you? Well, of course you didn't. And Jacob's defense is that he's innocent. Let our families be judge and jury. 
The case of the household gods is symbolic of the problem. For 20 years, Jacob has served Laban and has been wronged by him. He has been diligent in caring for his father-in-law's flocks. He has not eaten any of them. He has not taken any of them for himself. Any losses which came, he bore. And by the way, shepherds typically were not to be held to account for losses because of wild animals. And yet Jacob had to. Whether wild animals or if they were stolen by day or night, Laban demanded payment from Jacob because Laban was obsessed with stuff. Jacob worked hard those days, day and night, cold and heat. He was exhausted. He worked 14 years for Laban's daughters. He worked six years for flocks. And ten times, over and over again, his wages were changed. And now, verse 42 is the clincher. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. So the God of Abraham, the awesome one of Isaac, that is, the one who causes dread and whom Isaac respected, the Lord God saw all that was taking place. He saw everything that happened over the course of these 20 years. And God provided for Jacob. God ensured that Jacob would not be sent away empty-handed. Though Laban had attempted to ensure that very thing over and over and over again. God was for Jacob, providing for him and protecting him. He had promised, I will be with you, and he was with him. God saw Jacob's affliction, and not only did he bless his son, he rebuked his son's enemy, Laban. The Lord, in the end, you know, uh, Jacob has invited the kinsmen to come to decide the case. God has already decided the case. The Lord is the true judge of the case, and He has already made His ruling on behalf of Jacob. Jacob belongs to God, not to Laban. Laban is not Jacob's master. God is. And the Lord has blessed His chosen Son. And so Laban, in response, offers a grandiose yet empty assessment. Look at verse 43. The daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. All that you see is mine. You see how he's obsessed with possessions. But what can I do this day? For these my daughters, or for their children whom they have borne? Despite the previous contracts that had been drawn up, which Jacob had fulfilled, Laban, even to this day, even as he'd seen that the Lord had given everything over to Jacob, even as the Lord had warned Laban not to say anything against Jacob, he still is convinced in his own mind, this is all mine though. He still thinks it's all his. Despite all that is said, Laban believed that Jacob was indebted to him. Jacob believed that Laban owed him because of his unpaid labor. But in the end, Laban confesses that his hands are tied. He says, what can I do? What can I do? Well, the reality is nothing, Laban. 
Laban believed that Jacob had turned his family against him, but his daughter's words and actions show us the truth. The truth is that God had given everything to Jacob, and the daughters have sided with their husband because Jacob's cause was right. And so, Laban really can do nothing, but he initiates a covenant, a peace agreement, if you will, between himself and Jacob. Now, this is, if you think about it, this is really interesting because he's the one who comes with a superior military force, and yet I think there's a part of Laban who recognizes, you know, if God is for him, I'm, I'm really in trouble. I really need protection. I, I, we need to make a covenant so you won't do me any harm. So they make a peace agreement. And they erect a pillar. A stone heap is made which would serve as a witness between them. And the language used here is uh, similar to what we've seen before of cutting a covenant. A covenant, in this case, made between equals. Jacob, the former servant, had been freed by God. Just as, uh, in, just as this chapter in his life has begun with a pillar, now it's also closing with a pillar. The essence of the treaty was that Jacob was not to oppress his daughters, nor to take any more wives, and that the Lord would be a witness to this. In addition, neither party was to go over the river to do harm to the other. And so Laban swore by the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, and their father's God. And Jacob, you'll note, Jacob doesn't, doesn't swear that same way. He swears by the fear of Isaac. Which is to say... That he, and he's being, being very clear that the God of Abraham and Isaac is not the same God as the God of Nahor. And so sacrifice is offered, bread is offered, and they spend the night uh, there in the hill country, and then the, the hostile parties feast together. They spend the night camped, and then early the next morning, Laban kisses his daughters, his grandchildren, he blesses them, and he departs, he returns home, Thus ends Jacob's 20-year sojourning in Padam Aram. Throughout these 20 years, Jacob had grown from himself being a scoundrel and cheat. You know, one who had stolen the birthright from his brother Esau. The one who had been forced to flee. He He had been transformed from that to a faithful servant of God. Suffering often is the means by which God sanctifies his people. Suffering is often the means by which God sanctifies his people. James chapter 1, verse 2 says this Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Suffering is used by God to sanctify us. Jacob was being sanctified over those, that course of those 20 years. He was grown in his faith by the trials that he faced. In the end, he was content, for he knew God and trusted the God who would provide for him. The events described here in Genesis 
and the description of Jacob's expansive flocks serve as a wonderful and instructive picture of God's divine providence, which, which you and I also experience in our everyday life too. The Lord was working out His sovereign plan of redemption, a plan which had been made for all eternity, a plan which had been put into action in the garden after the fall, a plan of redemption which continued throughout Genesis and continues to the end of all things. Just as the Lord's hand of providence was actively involved in Jacob's life, the Lord God is actively involved in your life and my life too. At times, even we could become aware of God's hand of providence, though, that, though rarely are we afforded the opportunity to interpret such events, at least not immediately. The point is that God is actively involved in every aspect of your life, even your suffering, even the trials you experience, even those trials which may last decades. Jacob suffered for 20 years. The Lord is sovereign over all things, and He is working out His own decrees by the counsel of His own will. The Lord Jesus Christ, God who had become flesh, died and rose again for your redemption. And you and I are to trust and rest in Him. Christ suffered for you. He poured out His own blood so that you could have life. If God has saved you by His own blood, if God has made you a son and heir of His covenant promises, if God has gathered you and I together with all the saints to be His bride, that is the church, why would we think that God is not present when we experience suffering and trials? Why would we think that God doesn't care about me anymore? Why would we think that God doesn't care because He seems silent? The trials and sufferings you experience even now are not occurring without God being present. Remember what God told Jacob, I will be with you. And what does he say when he leaves, when he's leaving Laban? I will be with you. God is with you too, Christian. God is present. God is not only present, he is using those trials for your good. God is not just looking upon your trials and saying, well, you know, I kind of feel sorry for you. No, He is using this for your good. The question isn't, why is this horrible thing happening to me? But rather, what is God doing in my life to grow me and sanctify me and make me more into the image of Christ? How is God using these for my good? Do you trust that God is good and has your good in mind? Am I going to fix all my problems in my own strength? Or am I willing to rest in my faithful Savior and God, the Lord Jesus Christ? Sometimes those lessons are learned through trials. And Jacob is a testimony to that. 20 years of trial. He suffered 20 years of injustice. 20 years of mistreatment. And yet God was faithful to him. In the end, he was made into a godly man, which was God's purpose all along. Is God doing, perhaps, God is working those things out in your life too. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your every blessing. Help us, O God, to, as James says, count it all joy when we experience trials. Help us to trust you are good 
And then even when we suffer, we experience the trials of this life, help us to do so with grace, knowing that you are a good God who loves your children, and that you are present, and you are working out your, your purposes, even, in, even when we don't understand it. May we give you a glory and honor in every aspect of life, all that we do. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.